Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Is it just me or did that back to school blessing like, oh my goodness, school? is going to start back. Some of the kids are like, oh no. Yeah. How many are glad to be here? Man, I'm glad you're here. I have a word for you today. We've been in a book, um, a book study on the book of Ephesians. This is actually week number six, and we're only in chapter three today, which means we're, we may not finish, right? Um, in a couple of weeks, we have a guest speaker, Pastor Brandon Nelson, uh, is going to be flying in, and I didn't think it would be appropriate to say, hey, Pastor Brandon, fly in and preach Ephesians chapter six. Um, we're going to allow him to preach whatever God has put on his heart on July the 30th, and so I've got today, and I've got the next two Sundays to kind of get as far as we can. Today, we're going to deal with chapter number three. In week one, we talked about in Christ. And then week two, we talked about what it means to be a saint. Week three, we talked about how that you are appreciated. And I hope you you got something from it. And then the last couple of weeks, we had some in-house help from Pastor Charles and Alex talking about both salvation and reconciliation. And I don't know how you feel, but I know as a pastor, it is so refreshing to have capable in-house people anointed to deliver God's word. So can you let Pastor Charles and Alex both know, can you take just a minute to show some love and honor to them? Powerful messages. We thank God for that. Um, Today, I've got a very exciting topic for you. Um, I want to talk about affliction. Anybody excited? That's about what I thought the response would be. Um, I am going to talk to you about affliction, and honestly, about halfway through the sermon at nine, I'm like, man, this is coming out so much heavier than what was in my head. Um, and that happens sometimes when you're, you're ministering and you just got to trust the Holy Spirit is, is doing what he wants to do when that happens. And, and, but after the service, several people have already stopped me to thank me that it was perfect for what they're going through. And isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit can take one word and he can appropriate it to everyone in the room in a way that they can receive and grow from it. And so um, I I think it's an important message, but I do want to talk to you about I am afflicted. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter number three. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Don't worry, it's 21 verses, not that long. And I'm really going to hone hone in on the first 13 verses, but I want to read the chapter because next week I'm determined to go to chapter four. All right. Um, So Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse number one, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. That's not normally a place where you would stop and underline in your Bible, but it's going to be very important today. Okay. Paul is saying, I'm a prisoner of Christ, and he says, I'm a prisoner for the sake of you Gentiles. Very important. I'm a prisoner for your sake. You may want to underline that. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ 
which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Very important verse 13, you want to underline this one. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. How many know that's a, that's a mouthful, but it's good stuff, right? I am afflicted is our working title. And as we look through these verses today and we pull out what God has for us, I want to start by saying it's a very unique take that the Apostle Paul lays out in Ephesians chapter 3. And what I love about the Bible and I appreciate about the Bible is that it is the most honest book that has ever been written. And like our lives, the Bible doesn't just deal with suffering in one chapter or in one book of the Bible, but it's, it's actually woven all throughout the Bible and many of the books and many of the chapters of the Bible. And in, in the book of Ephesians, we do get a glimpse of affliction, of suffering, of hardship through this man that we all know as the Apostle Paul. And two things are true of you and me, and two things are true of the Apostle Paul. We will cause other people to be afflicted, and we will be afflicted by other people. I'm going to say that again. We will cause other people to be afflicted, and other people will cause us to be afflicted. It happens. It's part of life. Everybody in this room, everybody watching online, you have been afflicted by others and you have, you have afflicted others. It, it has happened in all of our lives. And Paul, this was true for him as well, because when we find Paul in Acts chapter number seven, he is standing at the stoning of a deacon of the church by the name of Stephen. 
So Stephen is being stoned to death, and Paul is there giving all of it a thumbs up. So he is in the business of afflicting the people, the people of God, the church. But then Paul is radically saved, and he goes from the person who is afflicting others to becoming the person who is being afflicted. He is now writing this amazing book from a jail cell, from a a hole in the ground. And so he moves from the one creating the suffering for for people to being the one who is now suffering. And he starts out in chapter 3 by saying, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. And then that one thought continues all the way through verse 13. And he says, I am suffering. So he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. And then he says, I am suffering. So here's a man who's talking about what it means to be afflicted. But it's not just in a clinical way. He's talking about affliction in a very practical way, in a very pastoral way. And, and, and as he's separated from the church that he's leading, the church at Ephesus, he's in prison, most likely in Rome. He's writing to them, and he wants them to learn about what he is experiencing through his affliction. Does this make sense? He wants them to understand how he's growing, what he's learning, how he's investing his affliction, not wasting it. A lot of times we waste our pain instead of invest our pain. The Apostle Paul could write a a whole book on how to invest your pain. The seasons of suffering, the seasons of affliction, the seasons that we just say things like, I wish this would end. I wish this was over. God, just get me on the other side. Paul knew how to invest those seasons, not just try to get out of them. He used them as opportunities to make Jesus known. And the Bible, all throughout the Bible, is filled with affliction. Think about how many of you like the book of Psalms? Like you like, you like, kind of like the book of Psalms. Psalms is a book a lot of people like. But did you know out of 150 Psalms, a third of them are laments? What's a lament? A lament is God's people crying out from a place of grief. God's people crying out from a place of pain and affliction. A third of the Psalms is about lamenting. Out of all the Old Testament prophets, every one of them wrote about affliction except for one of them. So they all talked about pain. They all talked about suffering. And the Bible is, is, is very honest that suffering is real. And you need to know that because it stands in uh, contrast to a lot of false teaching that is happening in the world today. And the false teaching that is happening in the world today is that if you love Jesus and you know Jesus, then you will never suffer. How many know that's false teaching? Nowhere does the Bible say if you follow Jesus, you don't suffer or you're never afflicted. It actually says the opposite, that you'll be persecuted because of my name's sake. Jesus, that's his words, that affliction and suffering and tough seasons come to those who follow Christ. And Paul is in a tough season writing to people to not lose heart while he's in a tough season. Now, how many know that's called investing your affliction? Uh, in investing your pain. He's not wasting it. And throughout the Bible, there's at least 14 or 15 different types of affliction we, we read about. 14 or 15 different types. Now, these are not going to be on the screen, and I'm not going to give you all of them, but I do want to give you nine or 10 of them. 
Because I think it's important that when we are in a season of affliction, that we can identify where, what's the source of it, where's it coming from, and what should our response be. Is that fair? Everybody good with that? I want to give you a few of these. The first one, if you want to take notes, I would write these down because it's going to be important for your well-being, but also on how you minister to the people around you when they're in a season of affliction. Number one is, is, is affliction that, comes, that came through Adam, okay? And what I mean by that, when Adam and Eve sinned, how many of the whole world changed? Everything, the world became a broken world. It was a perfect place. It was paradise. There was nothing wrong. But when sin entered the picture, the world was now broken. It's not what it's supposed to be because of sin. And because of that, we experience affliction. Paul and the church at Ephesus, some of the affliction they're experiencing is because we're in a broken world. And it's why we um, have to walk through and navigate death. It's why we have to say goodbye to people we love. It's why sometimes we have to deal with sickness. It's why when we get older, our bodies wear out. Um, that, is, that is affliction that came through Adam. It's a broken world, which means some things are just because we're in a broken world and we uh, are afflicted through that. Second one is there is punishment affliction. Punishment affliction. Now, I'm going to speak to those who do not know Jesus. You may be in the room. You may be watching online. You may watch this later. Punishment of affliction. Uh, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you have to understand that hell is a real place. It's not figurative. I got in a conversation one time with a Jehovah Witness who told me hell was figurative. And I said, in the middle of the conversation, I said, well, why did Lazarus want some water? It must have been hot. It's a, you know, what kind of figure to, it's a real place. And if it, it, listen, if we don't repent of sin, okay, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus, we end up in a place of eternal affliction. That is, that is affliction that never stops. That season does not run out. And it's important that we understand that is a real type of affliction and hell is a real place. The third uh, type of affliction is consequential affliction. I want to explain this one. Consequential affliction. This is where we would, we would use the language of the Apostle Paul where he taught us we reap what we sow. Consequential affliction. You eat poorly and now you, your health's bad. You're reaping what you sow. You drink too much and you blow your liver out. Okay? You, you spend too much and you go in debt. And, and this is reaping what you sow. How I many we can make decisions or we can commit sins that have consequences? And now we are afflicted, not because it's someone else's fault. We're afflicted because of decisions we made. It's consequential affliction. We make decisions. We, we reap what we sow. We got we to gotta eat the fruit that we planted. Okay? Number four, there is demonic affliction. Demonic. This is where Satan, it's where demons um, are harming God's people. I want to I just slow down because I, I want us to get this. It could be in the form of sickness. It could be torment. It could be night terrors. Some of you parents have had kids with night terrors. Take authority over the devil. That's what that is. 
take authority over it, pray the prayer of faith, walk in authority, you know, cover your kids with the blood of Jesus and the word of God and tell the devil he has no place in your house. Take authority over that. It's demonic affliction. It could be in hearing voices. It could be demonic accusation. When you, you committed a sin three years ago and you still have guilt and condemnation, you got to realize at some point, Jesus has forgiven you. Forgive yourself and tell the devil to shut up. Don't allow the demonic affliction to keep coming from something you repented of three years ago. Move past it. Move past it. But listen, Satan, if he finds something that works in your life, he'll keep bringing the same thing. He'll just keep bringing the same thing against you. And you've got to recognize when, you're, when you have affliction, suffering, and pain coming into your life, you've got to be able to identify, is this because of decisions I've made? Is this because of something else? Is this demonic? Is, is, am I being attacked in this season? Number five, there's victim affliction. And this is where someone sins against you. This is where people are attacked, where children are abused, where women are mistreated, where, where husbands beat their wives, where men do violent crimes against other men. It's somebody sins against you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything, but somebody sinned against you. That is victim affliction. We've all been there before where someone sinned against us, but let, let's reverse that. We've all sinned against someone. Okay, so let's not be too harsh, all right? We've, we've been sinned against, and we've also sinned against other people. Number six, there's collective affliction. Collective. This is where you're, you're part of a people who are suffering, and because you're part of a people who are suffering, you're suffering with them. You could be a part of a nation that's at war, and because your nation is at war, you're suffering. You're, there's affliction because of who you're connected to. 2016, when we were hit with a, a, a flood that destroyed so many things. I don't even like talking about the flood because it is such a sore spot for so many people. But all of us were afflicted. Not everybody lost someone. Not everybody lost the house. But because of what happened in our... Re How many of y'all remember that? Like, we all hurt because the, the community we were a part of was hurting. And so that's what collective affliction is. We're hurting because the people we're connected to are hurting. That could be a family member. It could be a church. It could be a city. It could be a nation. Number seven, there's disciplinary affliction. Now, this is where for a believer, God will, please hear my heart, God allows some affliction not to punish us, but to mature us. The Bible is very clear that God chastens and disciplines those that he loves. That if you're a child of God and you're not getting it, sometimes God will allow some hardship to come into your life to get your attention, to inspire you, to motivate you so that you will grow up, he, we read it, Ephesians chapter 3, into the fullness of everything God has for you. And sometimes the fullness of everything God has for you doesn't come in a revival service where we're all waving a hanky. Sometimes the fullness of everything God has for us, it comes through a season of pain where we have to grow and mature and endure hardness as a good soldier. Is this okay? Okay, these are different types of affliction. And I'm going to show you in a minute why it's important to know the different types of categories. Um, number eight, 
there is sometimes what, what I would call vicarious affliction, vicarious. And I've had to endure this, um, and as a pastor specifically, this is just going to be an automatic. But vicarious affliction, it comes from people around us, and we think they hate us. We think it's personal. We think they hate us. But it's really they don't hate you. They hate Jesus. And because you love Jesus, they now hate you, and it's not even about you. They're offended by Jesus. They're offended by who you serve. They, they're offended by who you worship and who you honor. You need to know that we live in a culture where it is, where it is accepted and even applauded to be anti-Christian and to speak against people who love God. It's celebrated in a lot of circles. And so you need to know that sometimes affliction will come because you're in love with Jesus and the world hates Jesus. Okay? So you got to be prepared for that. It doesn't mean that we, listen, now let me just give you the other side of that coin. We don't fight those people. The temptation is to fight those people. Don't fight those people. They're offended with Jesus. You fight. We are to love our enemies and to bless our enemies, not fight with them. Paul writes later in Ephesians chapter 6 and says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We, re we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And so we a lot of times get in fights with people not understanding it's not about people. It's about the spiritual realm that we can't see. Okay? And so people will hate you, but it's not even you. It's the Jesus in you that they hate. Number nine, I won't spend a lot of time here, but some things are testimonial affliction. You remember when the disciples asked Jesus and they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born, you know, that he's blind and got this condition? And Jesus said, he didn't do anything wrong. And, and his parents, did. he said, nothing's wrong. He said, this, this is here that the glory of God might be manifest. In other words, his affliction isn't about anything except the whole world's about to see me to give this man a miracle. It was a testimonial type of affliction. Number 10, we'll quit with this one. Is a category I would put a lot of things in. And it's what I would call mysterious affliction. And what I mean by that, we don't know. How I many of there's some things that happen and there's a season of pain, struggle, suffering, affliction, and we don't know. Sometimes we just don't know the answer. We don't know if it's demonic. We don't know if it's decisions we made. We don't know if it's persecution. We don't, we don't know. And we got to do a better job in the church of admitting when we don't know, of saying we don't know. And we got to be cool with that. And, and one of the areas I've struggled with in the past is, as a past, I feel like I have to, because people come to me all the time and say, why? 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 And in the past, I, I felt pressure to give an answer. And sometimes there, we don't have an answer. We don't know exactly why the season hasn't ended, why the affliction keeps happening. Sometimes we don't know. And if we don't know, we need to be cool with saying, I don't know. Okay. And the reason is because if, if we miscategorize a person's season of affliction or suffering, if we miscategorize that, then we may give them a response that would do more damage than help. If, if someone says, um, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm in a season of pain, I'm in this season of affliction and suffering, um, and you know it's because they got a lot of sin in their life, they're making bad choices. How many, you got to be able to speak, hey, you're shipwrecking your life because of these decisions. 
You need to be able to have that conversation. But on the, on, on, on the other end, if they love God and they're serving God and they've not committed sin, it would be crazy because some of us, sometimes we're like Job's friends. Y'all remember Job? Job loses his kids, his wealth, his health. The only thing he's got left is, a, is his wife, and she ain't a happy camper. She tells him, curse God and die, old man. And that, that's all he's got left. And his friends show up, and because they miscategorized his affliction, they looked at the loss of wealth, they looked at the loss of health, boils all over his body, using... Uh, clay shards to scratch himself, they look at him and say, um, you've got sin in your life and you need to repent. Not knowing Job had zero sin. This was not sowing and reaping in, in Job's life. This was, we, we, if you read the book of Job, you learn it was demonic affliction that Satan had gotten permission from God to be able to touch him. So it had nothing to do with his decisions, had nothing to do with sin in his life. And so we got to be very careful. Sometimes a person can be going through a season of suffering and affliction, and they've done nothing wrong, and we can do a lot of harm if we start saying, where's the sin? Because sometimes it has nothing to do with a sin. Sometimes it's demonic. Can you all see how it's important to know where the affliction comes from? Because if we don't know, we can give instructions or a response that's not going to be helpful, but it's actually going to be harmful. And so as we're going through these three points, I'm going to give you three points that Paul kind of clarifies for us. I want you to see how, how, how we need to look and view at affliction and suffering and in the grace of God, be able to endure it and I want us to be able to utilize pain, suffering, affliction, whatever word you want to put on it, to not only better ourselves, but I want us to use it to comfort and counsel other people who are in seasons of affliction. So let's look at three things that Paul talked about. Number one, afflicted for others' good. Afflicted for others' good. He starts by, by talking about that. And listen, I'm not here to diminish what you're going through. I'm not here to make light of anyone's season of affliction, but I want us to see that whatever we're dealing with through the power of the Holy Spirit and what he has to say through the apostle Paul, how we might be able to deal with our season of pain in a positive way. And so he says to us in this text, we glean from this, that we can be afflicted and it can be for other people's good. That, and and here, here's, the, here's why this is so hard. When we're in a season of affliction, what do we all do? We all turn inward. So we don't even think about others. Christian people are funny. Y'all know that, right? That when we're going through a season of pain, we're the only one hurting. We're the only one struggling. And we definitely don't look at other people to, to, to see how what we're going through could be helpful. We usually turn inward and we focus on our own pain. And Paul is saying, I'm going to teach you guys how to use your affliction, not to turn inward, but to use your affliction to become a blessing to the people around you. There are some Christians, I've said this before, they can call you up and, and they're always in a season of pain. Always. Every time you talk to them, it's terrible. Their life's falling apart. It's bad. You, you could take their phone call. And I've never done this to y'all, by the way. Never done it. 
but I want to give you an example. You take their phone call, put it on speaker, lay it down, let them keep talking. You could go wash the dishes. You could change the laundry, make two beds, and come back. And they won't even know you're gone. Because they're still talking about their pain, their sorrow, their grief. And Paul is trying to tell the church at Ephesus, I'm separated from you. It's bad. I'm in a cold, dark dungeon. But I'm trying to find paper to get the word out to you. I don't want you to lose heart. I'm going to use this season of affliction. I'm not going to waste this pain. I'm going to invest this pain. I'm going to use it as an opportunity to benefit you. I'm a prisoner of Jesus for your sake. I'm suffering for you. It's going to benefit you because I'm going to utilize it to benefit you. But so often we take our pain. We turn inward. We don't, we actually waste it. Let me just say this. Sometimes we prolong seasons of pain because of the way we respond to it. Because we don't respond in a healthy manner. God wants to use our pain to be a blessing to other people. He says, I'm suffering for your sake on behalf of the Gentiles. And you need to understand this. Prior to Paul becoming a Christian, he hated the Gentiles. Absolutely hated the Gentiles. These are the non-Jews. Those of you that are new to church, Gentiles just means they're not a Jew. There were Jews and Gentiles. He hated the Gentiles. And so he had no empathy for the Gentiles, no compassion for those who did not share uh, his racial, his cultural, his religious heritage. But after he met Jesus, he went from hating the Gentiles to saying, I'm a prisoner of Jesus and I'm suffering on behalf of the Gentiles, but I'm going to take this suffering as an opportunity to minister Jesus to you. I'm going to invest it. I want you to know about Jesus. And this calling on his life, Paul wanted every single person to know Jesus. He was committed to every person knowing Jesus, to sharing that message with every person he met, that even in his affliction, he was saying, you know what, I still need them to know Jesus. And he talked about it in chapter 3. We read it. He said, because Jesus is still a mystery to a lot of people. Do you know that the Bible says you and I are living epistles, read of all men, which means that some people, the only Jesus they ever get is by watching you. What is your life preaching? What is, what is your season of affliction preaching to people that would say Jesus is a mystery to me? I don't know him. What, what is our life saying to them? Many people, they, they don't know Jesus. And, and I want to make sure, I said this at night, I want to make sure I say it again. At the end of the day, the most important thing is that you know Jesus for real. I'm not, Karen and I had this conversation either yesterday or the day before, but there are so many people, especially in American Christianity, what we know as cultural Christianity, who say a prayer, nothing in their life changes, but they just add Jesus to what they do. And they think that's a Christian. The gospel is not a prayer that we pray where we add Jesus 
to our list of things that we already do. The gospel is that I turn from my sin, I deny myself, I take up my cross, which is a death mechanism, my will begins to die, and I choose to follow Jesus. And if I haven't done that, I'm not saved. I'm not saved. And there's a lot of people who just want to add Jesus to their life and nothing else changes. I just added a little prayer or a little Jesus and I'm good. No, to follow Jesus means you deny yourself, take up your cross and you follow him. And that also means there'll be seasons of affliction and suffering. And the way we handle seasons of affliction and suffering says a lot about our maturity. It says a lot about our growth in Christ. And it also says a lot about uh, what our life is preaching to the people around us. Paul is saying, I'm in jail, but I want people to know Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this an opportunity to make Jesus famous. And what I love about this, suddenly, as Paul's thrown in prison again, he's got, the, he's got everybody talking. They're like, that crazy apostle, that pastor at Ephesus, he's in jail again. And, the, and people are like, really? He's in jail again? What for this time? Well, he really believes there was a man named Jesus that came and that he died. But he also believes that on the third day he got up and that he's defeated death, hell, and the grave and that he's the only one. He's got people talking about him while he's in prison, not in we feel sorry for Paul, but in this Jesus must be real that he's sitting in a cold, dark place. It's believed that they had him uh, on top of one another. So they, they would have a grate over top of them. And so they would stack prisoners down in these holes, one on top of another, just, just a dark hole. And so when the guy above you went to the bathroom, guess where it went? On your head. And he's using that as an opportunity to share Jesus with the world. We can't even share Jesus with the world and we drive up to our Starbucks drive through and get our latte and we go to the office and sit in air condition and our wife loves us and our husband loves us and our kids made good grades and they play on the soccer team and we can't even share Jesus in that environment. How in the world are we going to share Jesus when we're being afflicted? This is going over real well. How, how is your life sharing Jesus? How is my life sharing Jesus? What, what's our life? What, what's our message? Because we are afflicted. God wants to use that to help others. Secondly, we're afflicted for your, you're afflicted for your growth. Paul says that you can be afflicted for your growth. You can help others, but you can also mature and grow. What we see here. In Ephesians chapter 3, if you read it in context, he is suffering, but he's also ministering. And in that, he's maturing. He's growing. You, you can see it in his language. We got a highly intelligent man, highly in, educated. He, he spoke multiple languages. He wrote uh, almost more than anybody else in the New Testament. I think Luke, if you actually did scriptures, Luke wrote more scriptures. But Paul pins so much of the Bible. He's got all this education, all this insight, and yet when he's talking to the people, he's saying everything God's doing, he said, it's, it's his grace on my life. I couldn't do this without the grace of God. Do you know that the anointing and the grace of God on your life is not even for your life? 
that the anointing on you is for others. And Paul is saying, you can see the humility. He's like, yes, I'm planting churches. I'm writing the Bible while in prison. We read past things like that. Like he's in prison writing to us the Bible. And he's saying, all of this is possible, not because I'm educated, not because I got all this gifting. He's saying, all of it's possible. If anything at all good is coming out of this, it's because of the grace of God that is on my life. He said, I'm the least of all of God's people. I love Paul. I mean, he's just so humble, unassuming, in love with Jesus and wanting to make Jesus famous. It's all he cares about. What if we leveraged our life and specifically our affliction, our pain, and our suffering, not so that we could throw a pity party and invite everybody to come hug us, whatever we do, but what if we started using our seasons of affliction to make Jesus famous? What if that was the only priority? We're going to make Jesus the central topic. He's going to be the main focus of everything we talk about. I love the humility because Paul is seeing himself not in light of other believers. He's seeing himself in light of his Savior. That's, and, and you hear this in church all the time. People go, go to church with people and they're like, well, you know, they do this and that and I'm better than them. I'm good. I thought we were comparing ourselves to Jesus, not other people. All the time in church you hear people say things like that. Well, I'm better than them. So they may be on their way to hell. Have you thought about that? They may be heading to place you don't want to go. Lock the doors. We're going to be here a while. I'm kidding. At the end of the day, I said this, and I want to say it again. I don't want to stand before God, and I don't want you to stand before God, and you say, PC made me feel like I was okay. Because if you're not comparing yourself to Jesus and following him, you may not be okay. And I want to be bold enough to tell you, if you've not denied yourself, taken up your cross to follow Jesus, repented of your sin, turned from that life to follow Jesus, and you just said a prayer, added Jesus to your life, you're not. You're not cool. You're cool when you deny yourself, turn from your sin, follow Jesus, and live for him. That's the gospel. And that's what we need to be doing as a people. And listen, in the culture in which we now live, if you really follow Jesus in this culture, people are going to think you're radical. They're going to think, oh my goodness, they prayed over their lunch in front of everybody. I saw them in the frozen peas and carrots in Walmart, and they laid hands on that woman. How many, that's supposed to be normal. But it is, that stuff now is radical. You all are out, you're fanatic. They probably got snakes in the back room. No, we don't have snakes, but we do believe Jesus heals. We do believe Jesus delivers. We do believe Jesus has set us free. And for that, we, have, we owe him our life. Even our season of affliction, we owe him everything. All right, is this okay? Now, let me say this before I give you the third point. Paul is saying in this text, you, when you read it in con, I'm suffering, I'm a prisoner of Jesus, but, but I'm growing. I'm, I'm maturing. I'm not even in the jail whining about this. I'm actually using this. 
in verse 13, under, if you didn't underline that, you may want to underline it because he, he sums up that initial thought. I'm a prisoner of Jesus and I'm suffering, but he says it's for your sake. But then he says to them, he says, don't lose heart. He's the one in the dungeon. But he's telling the people he pastors that he's separated from. They don't know if he's going to live or die. They have no clue. Don't lose heart. And some of you in this room, you may be here today and you're, you're, you're struggling. You're, you really are. You're, you're devastated. Um, you're hanging on day by day. You're just trying to get through another day. You're fighting depression. You're fighting discouragement. You're fighting despair. Some of you are, are right now on the border of hopelessness. And I, I, I wrote this down. I want to make sure I say it right, if I can find it in my notes. The one thing that's worse than affliction is when we're in the affliction, and it's not just the affliction we're dealing with, but it's the hopelessness. Hopelessness is worse than the suffering. And I see it on people's face all the time when they come in and they say, why? Why is this happening? Why won't this season end? And they have despair on their face. And they feel hopeless like there is no way out. And I just want you to know that whatever the season is, the enemy would love for you to believe that that season is permanent, that it's a life sentence, that it will never change. But today, I tell you now, I tell everybody here, the devil is a liar. We break that lie in the name of Jesus. It's not hopeless. It's not only just despair in your life. God has good things in your future. He has great things in your future. But the enemy loves to bring us to a place of hopelessness. And over the last three years, many people in this room, you've battled hopelessness. I've been there. I've had seasons over the last three years where it felt hopeless. There's, this is not going to change. This is not going to turn. This is the way it is. I've got to remind myself that it's not hopeless. Do you know what? Listen to me. I've got to do this. The number one most prescribed medication is antidepressants. Pastor, are you against that? I'm not against that, but I'm, I'm saying it shows us that people feel hopeless. They feel like their life cannot change, that it cannot get better. But today, in the name of Jesus, we're going to handle affliction better. We're going to walk through it, not only for others' good, but for our own maturity. And number three, we're afflicted for God's glory. Afflicted for God's glory. In verses 10 through 13, he says that through the church, that's us together, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And in verse 13, he said, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my suffering or my tribulation for you, which is for your glory. Paul is encouraging them. Don't lose heart. Yeah, this is bad. It's a real season. I'm, and, and what I love about Paul, he's so honest. He's not saying I'm not suffering. In church, we do it, right? We, we, we go through a terrible season and people say, how are you? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay. 
And I get that sometimes we say that by faith, but I do think as a community of believers that there is a time when it's appropriate to say to someone, I'm not okay, and here's why. The apostle Paul said, I'm, I'm not good. He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus and I'm suffering. But he was able to leverage that. He said, but it's for your, your benefit. I'm going to use this to mature. I'm going to use this to help you. And I'm going to use this for God's glory. We're afflicted for those three reasons. So I want to ask you today, have you lost heart? Are you losing heart? Are you giving up? Are you giving in? He says, I ask you to not lose heart. And the reason I bring that to your attention, that tells me, so I ask you not to lose heart. That tells me it's a decision. Sometimes we feel like we have to lose heart because the circumstances are dictating we have to. And Paul says, this is bad, but I'm, I'm asking you not to lose heart. In other words, it's a decision on your part to not give up, to not throw in the towel, to not say, you know what, this is just more than I can handle. And I believe God's going to minister hope to some people today. And I believe that God is, I, I really believe the Holy Spirit's going to minister and break depression off people in this room today and hopelessness off of people. Don't lose heart. One of the, I'm going to ask the worship team, y'all better come. We've got four pages of notes I could go through, but I'm not, I won't do that to you. I'm going to wrap this up. So many people losing heart, giving up, asking the why, why is this happening? You know, I, I can't suffer anymore. But in affliction, in pain, you have an opportunity to reveal to the world because Paul wrote about, it, he said, not only are people watching, people, did y'all know people are watching you on how you handle your affliction? And some of them don't even have to watch that intent, intently because they see your post on your whining on social media. Literally no glory at all for God, just misery. And misery loves company. But one of the definitions for glory, we, we get the weightiness of God and, and the kabod, the, the Hebrew word, the, the weight of God. But one of the definitions of glory is to reflect to reflect. And what we see with Paul is that he's reflecting Jesus from a dark hole. And he's encouraging the people on the outside who are not in the dark hole to reflect Jesus. Because he's in the, he's in the dungeon and he's not complaining, he's worshiping. He's, he's, he's not, you know, depressed, he has joy. How does that happen? Because he knows Jesus personally. Newsflash. If church is a box that you check and it was a prayer you prayed and you added a little Jesus to your existing life, when you go through a season of affliction, all you will have is, all you'll be able to do is to complain because you don't know him. The question becomes, are you talking with Jesus? Are you walking with Jesus? Do you know him personally? Because when you know Jesus personally, you know he's very much acquainted with grief, 
and suffering. As a matter of fact, no one has suffered more than Jesus. And part of his suffering, yes, he willingly went, but do you know you and I, our sin, put him on the cross. We afflicted him. And he did it to be in relationship with you and I and to walk us through. The Bible says, this is for somebody, the Bible says that God is close to those who are broken. Your season of pain could be an opportunity for God's glory to show up in your life in a way that you have never seen before. That you can see a side of God you've not known or experienced in your life. Paul, from this dark place, he doesn't hate his enemies. He's reflecting Jesus and loving his enemies. He's not complaining, he's worshiping. And he's being honest. Nothing about his life is secure. His freedom's not secure. He's his health is not secure. His future's not secure. He doesn't know if he'll ever preach out again. But you know what was secure? His identity in Christ. It was totally secure. He knew who he was in Christ. And I want to say this, what a great honor it is to suffer for the one who suffered for us. What if we could see affliction that way? I want you to stand with me. That'll help me quit. So what do I do, Pastor? I'm going to give you three steps today. Three things you can do. We want to understand that affliction can be used to bless others. It can. Affliction can be used to grow us up into the fullness of Christ. Affliction can reveal God's glory. All those are true. So what do I do? Number one, you got to be honest. Okay? That's one of the points. Be honest. Okay? Paul, when he's writing to us, he's not, he's not telling us, don't talk about your grief. Don't talk about your affliction. Don't talk about your pain. He didn't say don't talk about it. But he did say leverage it. Okay? So we got to be honest. Secondly, we're going to be honest. Secondly, we're going to find someone to talk to about it. We, we need a, a, a pastor that we may need to have a conversation with. We may need to come up, go get this. At church, we have people that come up here and they're trained to pray for you and to encourage you. And how many Sundays do we sit in our seats and we don't respond to an altar call to people who are trained to give us a word of encouragement and to pray the prayer of faith and to break off of us what we don't need to be carrying. But we all were taught to be self-sufficient. Don't tell anybody our problems. Okay, I hope you like your problems. So we got to be honest. We need to talk to somebody about it. And the third part of this, we need to understand that sometimes comfort is better than an answer. Paul did not give them an answer in all that. He didn't give them, he didn't say, hey, my trial's going to go great. Y'all know how we are in church. Like if somebody's got to, oh, it's going to work out. God's going to bless you. You know, we, we think we have to give an answer for everything. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to be released. Everything is going to be great. I'll be back in the pulpit next Sunday. He didn't give any of that. You know why? Because sometimes it's not an answer we need. It's the presence of God we need. And so presence, presence can be more powerful than the answer. That, why do you think the Bible says that we, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep? It, it doesn't say anything about us having an answer for that. It just says we're present with them in it. 
There's something powerful about presence. That we're there for one another. He doesn't give us an answer sometimes, but how many of you know that God always gives us his presence? He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Sometimes we can't provide an answer, but we can provide comfort. I'm going to ask the prayer team and staff to come forward to get in place. Our compass directors, if you want to get in place, we want to make an opportunity for people to respond to the message today. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to speak to you first. I want to encourage you to bring your pain and your suffering to Jesus and begin a relationship with him. That's where you need to begin. You can be forgiven. You can have a fresh start. I'm going to ask this morning, if you would just bow your heads for just a moment and close your eyes, no one looking around. But if you're here and you're like, Pastor, I, I don't really know Jesus like you just preached him. Maybe you've said a prayer, but I mean, he's not central. He's, your life hasn't changed and you don't know that you're ready to meet Jesus. I want you to know you're ready to meet Jesus, not question it. So if you're here and you say, Pastor, you're talking to me, I, I wanna know Jesus for real. I wanna follow him. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? Say, I wanna know Jesus for real. Anyone at all. Anyone at all. Thank you for this hand. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? I'm going to ask, instead of just leading a corporate prayer, I'm going to ask one of the compass directors if you'd go pray with this young man right here. And I love this. How many know following Jesus is the best decision anybody can make? Come on, you can do better than that. It's so good. It's so good. Thank you, Alex. Right there. Yep. Thank you. And I want to ask you this morning, if you feel like this message was for you and you know you've been in a season of pain or affliction, and maybe today your eyes were open, maybe it was demonic affliction you've been experiencing, maybe it was just decisions you made and you're eating the fruit of decision, but you know this message was for you. Would you raise your hand? I want to see who, who, who would say there's people, hands going up. All those people that just raised your hand, the worship team's going to come. I'm going to get out of the way and come down and minister with our prayer team. We want to minister to you. Okay, whether that be a word of encouragement, whether that just be the prayer of faith to say, devil, you don't have a right here anymore. Whatever that may be, we're here for you. We want to minister to you. We don't want you to leave the same way you came in. Everybody in agreement with that this morning? Can we, can we be in agreement with that? We don't want to leave the same way we came in. So worship team, come. These altars are open. Give Jesus the best praise you have so far. Come on, church. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.